Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Coming up on today's show, a Black Panther video game has been announced. Brit has played Baldur's Gate 3. And is the Xbox and Activision Blizzard deal finally done? It's not What's Good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. I am one of your hosts, Andrea Renee, joined by the woman who has returned from Belgium. That's right. It is Brittany Brombacher. I was going to try to do a Belgium accent, and then I realized I have no idea what that sounds like. It's French, mostly. Yeah, yeah. there were so many languages there. Hi, hello, I am here. I am a traveled woman. I'm so glad, and I can't wait to hear more about it a little bit later in the show. Please also welcome Mrs. Rihanna Manuel Pena. Hey! Yay! Fun fact for today, a buttercup is actually a flower. Today you learned. Okay, but what did you what did you think it was? I didn't think of it at all. I thought it maybe was like a candy or some shit. Mm, I I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. something people sing about, Mm, like a Reese's peanut butter cup. That on a stem, like that's what I thought. I can see how you would think it's candy because I mean it's literally right in the name, buttercup. Exactly. Mm. That's fair. I'm glad to be back. I don't think I've ever taken three weeks consecutively off of the show. It was very unintentional, by the way. I am very sad that I missed the Game of the Year so far conversation, but thank you to Danny Pena from Gamertag Radio for coming in and giving some fantastic thoughts. I just listened to both of those episodes a couple days ago, so if you out there listening have not, highly recommend going back. I also was gonna feel like a third wheel in that Final Fantasy 16 conversation you had with Tim Gettys <laughs> from Kind of Funny. I couldn't have been in it anyway, though, because I got COVID after Summer Game Fest. That's what happened, y'all. And then we went on break. So I couldn't participate. So thank you, Brittany and Rihanna, for holding the fort down while I was laid up in bed, isolated in my room. But isolation works, everybody. My husband and my baby never got sick. Hell yeah, girl. And you healed up in time to do your travel plans, which is yes. amazing. Oh, Paxlovid. I tweeted about this and I posted it on my Instagram. It worked. It was great. It did leave that horrible oh. taste in my mouth for <laughs> all five days that I was on it. Joey Noel gave me the pro tip of sucking on Werther's candy. Oh, no, it was uh, Maria who gave me that pro tip. Mm, or maybe it's a it was, Yes, that's right. Just like eat something. Keep something pleasant. You in know, your mouth. In your mouth. <laughs> Giggity. Okay, listen, we've got a show to do. So let's thank our wonderful Patreon producers, Chewy's Godson, Ferris Satia, Justin Foshi, and Punctified. And because we had the pre-records from the last couple of episodes, welcome to our Patreon community at patreon.com slash what's good games, where you can get the show ad-free, among other wonderful rewards, like a shout-out, which is coming to our patrons at the end of the episode. Dewey Reese, Corvo, Raphael Diff, and Detroit Day. Thanks so much for for supporting our voices and video games. We appreciate you. And Brittany, we got a slew of new podcast reviewers. We do. Lots of numbers in this one. We got Chegg141, West Hamooch11, 
winner two zero one zero 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 fear and zero one and I think my favorite name out of all of these unprotected egg roll yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear the story behind that. So Unprotected Egg Roll, I hope you're listening to this episode. I assume if you took the time to leave a five-star review, you've listened to the episode every week. Please write us at contact at whatsgoodgames.com and tell us the story behind this username. Unprotected Egg Roll. I, anyway, my mind goes certain certain place with that one. You know what I well, mean? Well, then I will just say today's show is brought to you by HelloFresh, but we'll tell you more about that later because now it's time to talk about the most exciting thing in video games, court proceedings. No. I mean, yay, but no. (laughs) (laughs) So this has been a slightly exhausting (sighs) trial to follow. The FTC versus Microsoft was happening, and the wonderful news team over at IGN did a lot of great coverage on this, including Rebecca Valentine and Cap Bailey and a lot of other fantastic folks over there. And they were writing up about the hearings that were happening and all the testimony that was being given. And turns out all of it was in Microsoft's favor because the Federal Trade Commission and Microsoft have reached a decision. Judge Jacqueline Scott Corley has ruled in favor of Microsoft denying the FTC's preliminary injunction request. Now, I'm not going to read all of the things from the judge because I think it's important to jump right to this does not mean this is over. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's great that Microsoft got a win. I think from what I listened to, because I did spend one day listening in, because in the United States, you have public access to most of these hearings. Not every hearing is is available publicly, but this one was, but only a thousand people at a time could join the Zoom. And so a lot of times it was locked out because so many people were trying to listen in on the hearing. But I went in a couple of hours after it started and I just like managed to, to slip on in there. And I was like, ooh, I can listen to Phil Spencer talk about secret emails or not so secret emails he had because turns out they had to submit all of these documents as part of this trial. But it was really interesting to hear some of the testimony and follow what has been going on with this trial. Obviously, the largest acquisition in video games history worth $69 billion. Nice. So it's interesting to me, though, that everyone is sort of going around with this disclaimer that they won, it's done, it's over. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. it's almost over. We're so close, but there's this sticky little deadline, July 18th, which is just days away at this point. And the UK's Competition Markets Authority, the CMA, has blocked the deal. But now they're saying, well, I guess since everybody else approved, We're willing to talk to you guys about moving the deadline. But what I thought was interesting from all of this coverage, I was looking at the coverage that, Brittany, you pulled from IGN. Eurogamer also has coverage. Pretty much all the major video game news sites have coverage Mm -hmm. on this. Over on Polygon, they had a bullet point in their story that says, according to the terms of the deal, Microsoft needs to close its acquisition of Activision Blizzard by July 18th. If it misses that deadline, it will need to pay Activision an eye-watering $3 billion termination fee. Jeez, I was like, oh my God. What? (laughs) I mean, good on Activision Blizzard for building that into the deal, but holy shit. No wonder they're like, hey, y'all, can we get this deal done? Let's get the deal done. Let's get the deal done. The deadline's coming up. (laughs) Like $3 billion. Uh, Well, yeah. And this is breaking news, news, news. FTC has appealed the decision. 
Of this course. Is, of course they on, have. Uh, this is on IGN. The article went live 10 minutes ago, and it says, yeah, they filed an appeal challenging the recent verdict from the United States court. Yeah, da 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 So that's a thing, and I'm still kind of reading as to, like, what. But anyway. Nope. Night over, friends. Yeah. So, I mean... One win, but still some work to do. I think we're all a little exhausted of it at this point, but obviously it's good that there's a lot of eyes on this. It is a massive deal with thousands, if not tens of thousands of jobs at stake. And hopefully, you know, there's a positive outcome to all of it. So, Rihanna, what do you think about, I don't want to call it a fiasco because that makes it sound like it's more dramatic than it is. It's really more of a boondoggle than anything. Ooh, boondoggle. It's honestly surprising to me knowing how adept Microsoft is at, you know, mergers and acquisitions. They've been around for our entire lifetimes and doing this kind of thing on the reg, right? And for this to be such a difficult deal, such a sticky situation with like more than one regulatory board, I'm so shocked, honestly. I don't know want to say more prepared, but they weren't able to navigate it more quickly. And uh, I think we can lend a lot of that to maybe another competitor that has thrown their weight around more than a little bit. But it, it's just honestly so surprising that something as absurd as a $3 billion termination clause is actually potentially going to happen. Like, I cannot believe that Microsoft would end up in this kind of situation. It's just shocking to me. So much of it is out of their control, which is why I don't know why they would allow that date with that kind of money at stake to be set when they know just how slow government moves. Yeah. They would have been like, yeah, let's maybe push that termination fee date a little bit further back. Keep it in there if you want, but maybe we go for October 18th or December 18th. Keep it in 2023, but not the middle of the summer when everyone's on vacation. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we'll see. We'll keep tabs on what's been going on and try to give you guys an update next week on that story. Unless, Britt, you have further thoughts on it you'd like eh. to go over. No, I'm just like reading about this. And essentially, yeah, they're just trying to win a preliminary injunction blocking the thing. So it sounds like it's just a normal appeal and it's going to go through all the rigmarole again. And I'm just quite frankly over all of this. I did think it was really interesting, though, when we were getting all like those secretive emails and the ones that were very poorly redacted, you know, kind of told us some of the history and some of the potential acquisitions or things that were being tossed around. And I think, you know, maybe in some sense, it was good for people to kind of learn how the industry works behind the scenes. I thought that was really fascinating. But yeah, other than that, I used to do redaction like professionally. And I can only imagine those poor people who were like probably clenching their assholes like, oh, fuck. All of that work because they looked over like what a million documents or something like that. The article I'm thinking it's, it's about bonkers, yeah. Is yeah, the, the judge said that they went through over a million documents and not one of them alluded to the fact that Xbox was going to rescind on their promise to, to put Call of Duty, sorry, on PlayStation. It's like, can you imagine? Could you just like imagine the things those people must know now? The secrets they must have. Let's find them. That's I what mean, happens when the government comes uh, calling. It is. Yeah, a lot anyway. of it's up for us to read. I, frankly, I found it over very it. fascinating. That's a really good call up, right? Yeah. Like we saw all of the different studios and big and small that, that Microsoft was considering acquiring and well, they had a lot of plans. And then Activision was like, here, come take me. Like just a good reminder that all of your correspondence on your employer's platform is not, it ain't all confidential. Yes, Britt. Yes, that's a fantastic reminder. I think all of us forget from time to time that if you're on the internet at your office on their ISP and they can literally look at everything you look at on your computer, literally all of it, 
they can look uh-huh. at. And they can also read all of your company email. They keep copies of it all. So uh, yeah. just keep that in mind when you go about your day-to-day life, okay? <laughs> While you're on the, the dark web at work. <laughs> don't be on the dark web at work, okay? Save no, that no, don't house. do that. And then get ExpressVPN. Okay. Yes, they are a sponsor of our show. Just, you know, a little call up. Okay. Cool story that came out this week, which was really fun to see. A Black Panther video game has been announced by Electronic Arts and Cliffhanger Games. Who wants to read this one? I'll take it. Yeah, girl. All right, so this comes to us via Game Informer. EA has announced that a Black Panther game is in the works. The title is being made, as Andrew said, Cliffhanger Games, a new AAA studio based in Seattle in collaboration with Marvel Games. <laughs> Uh, The upcoming title is billed as a single-player, story-driven, third-person action-adventure game. So many hyphens. In a press release, Kate Cliffhanger stated... Wait, wait, can we read that one more time, please? A single-player, story-driven, third-person, action-adventure game. You know, when I was pulling this story earlier, I was like... I had to stop and I had to read everything one by one. I'm like, I'm glad I understand this. The poor chap who doesn't know what the hell this is. This is a whole nother language to them. It's funny. This is like the test that I'm going to give my mom later to see if she's really picking (laughs) up on all the gaming stuff I've been sharing with her. Cliffhanger states, our mission is to build an expansive and reactive world that empowers players to experience what it is like to take on the mantle of Wakanda's protector, the Black Pienta. Cliffhanger is led by Kevin Stevens, formerly of Monolith Productions, the studio currently making a Wonder Woman game, so relevant there, and consists of veteran talent who have worked on titles such as Middle Earth, Shadow of Mordor, God of War, Halo Infinite, Call of Duty, and others. The team's still being assembled and actively hiring, so hey, if you know anybody, send them the job recs. As such, it's untitled and still very early in development, so it'll be a couple years before it's in our hands. And they did give a quote from Kevin here. We're dedicated to delivering fans a definitive and authentic Black Panther experience, giving them more agency and control over their narrative than they have ever experienced in a story-driven video game. Wakanda is such a rich superhero sandbox, and our mission is to develop an epic world for players who love Black Panther and who want to explore the world of Wakanda as much as we do. So uh, shout out to uh, homegirl Alexa Ray, senior narrative designer over at Cliffhanger. Yeah, Alexa, Brittany, keep it together. (laughs) The way you said Wakanda got me. I wasn't expecting it. I spit out in my hand. Well, well done. Brent, have you seen the Black Panther movies? I have. Oh, I saw. How many are there? Two. Okay, I saw one. Technically, yeah. Yeah. And it was there's there's amazing. animated stuff. Yes, but. and well, obviously oh, okay. like the comics, right? But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Most most of us normies have only seen the <laughs> the two MCU movies, and and mm-hmm. um, obviously there's a, a giant legion of comic book fans, of course. Yeah. This is super exciting. So as Rhee was saying, Alexa Ray Korea, our girl who started What's Good Games with us and we love, can finally openly talk about this. She told me she'd been working on a new gig and she's like, oh, it's top secret. And when she announces, it was very cool to see that yeah. this is the project that she's working on. So she's on that narrative team. Rightly so. A lot of people on, on Twitter and other social media platforms were rightly asking, who are the black people who are working on this game? This is a Mm -hmm. conversation we need to have. Let's talk about it. And Alexa had tweeted, world building and developing our stories alongside powerhouse senior writer Curtis Baxter and a team of esteemed dev vets has been such a rewarding experience. I've learned so much and there's still so much more to come. And she linked 
Curtis Baxter's LinkedIn profile because she said that he is not on Twitter. So I think it's hopefully comforting to people to know that there is a senior member of the team who's leading the story process who is a black man. He is a senior writer at Electronic Arts for for people who are interested because Cliffhanger Games is partnered with EA to make this game. And we've seen a couple of other devs coming forward saying like, oh, I'm so excited. I can finally say I'm working on this games who are black. But I even took it a step further we want to see African representation in this writing team as well. And I know that's definitely something that they're they're conscious of, right? Like Black Panther is from Wakanda, which is not in the United States. So that's a, an experience uh, not a lot of folks have around our neck of the woods. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what team they end up putting together. And as a lot of folks know, this is a long way off. So if you know anybody, if you have any recommendations, forward the info to them, right? Like, like the whole idea is recruiting the right team to make this come to life. So I'm excited. That's I'm a really good excited. point, Ree. And I think it's something, you know, we can bestow knowledge upon those who may not know. Some may wonder, why is this announcement coming right now if this game is still so far away? Well, there's lots of reasons, but one of that is for recruitment purposes. So now that this has been announced, maybe someone will see this and be like, oh my God, this is it. This is my dream gig. And they can leave their cozy job at XY Publisher and move to this one where it's going to be even more cozy and they can help make a bomb ass game. And it'll also be convenient for EA to be able to talk about it on earnings calls. So yeah, <laughs> just reminding people, it's always about the money. One of those other reasons I mentioned. But yes. uh, recruitment is definitely important. And speaking of recruitment, if you want to find the links to that, obviously you can just look up Cliffhanger Games if you want. I retweeted Alexa's tweet, AR Korea, on Twitter if you want to see her direct link to Cliffhanger's job board. But yeah, just typing Cliffhanger Games, all one word, into the Google machine should hopefully get you there. Yes. Okay, as the person who's only seen the one movie and it doesn't know a lot about Black Panther, I don't know what your two knowledge on that is, but like, does this get you like super stoked? And if so, like, what do you want to see from a game like this? So I'm going to let Ree talk probably more about Black Panther because I'm going to just go out on a limb and say you've probably watched it more times than I have. Um, <laughs> but what I do know is that Monolith as a studio has made some bomb ass video games. Yeah. So they are probably most well known for the Mordor series of video games, the Lord of the Ring games, where you played in this pre-Hobbit era of Middle-earth. And it was, I mean, I loved those games and I thought they were awesome. And they created this very unique system called the Nemesis system Mm -hmm. that they essentially like patented, I believe, where they created this idea of when you run into an enemy in the world, that enemy remembers your encounter, remembers who you are. And if you run across them later on in the open world or even some of their pals, their comrades, that the game remembers what happened. And that was such a unique, innovative thing that Monolith created. And I believe Warner Brothers was like trademark (laughs) or whatever they did with the Nemesis system. And so I'm excited to see what people from Monolith as a studio are bringing from that experience and, you know, the lessons learned from working on those games and their other titles into this game because I love that open world. I love the idea of an immersive experience and they use the word sandbox and I don't think that they do that lightly in a quote that they know everybody's going to read and analyze. So that's even more of an open world experience and more of an immersive experience than just like your traditional action adventure. 
Because when we call a game a sandbox, we mean you get to go inside the game like you would an actual literal sandbox if you were on the playground or in your backyard and make and create the game in your own way, at your own speed, and your own creativity is the limit. We have seen a lot of different takes on sandboxes and the idea of a Wakanda sandbox sounds really fucking cool, but I'm also like slightly terrified. I think it's a great way to go. And as you said, Monolith has the pedigree for like, as I said, a reactive world. And what excites me the most is being a fan of like Afrofuturism and what Wakanda represents for a lot of folks, both in the comics and just in general pop culture now at this point, since it's had two like mega huge hits, right? I love the idea of like just finding a world that is in our realm. It's of earth, but it's like total alt history, right? It's like, what if the cradle of life was in this place called Wakanda in the middle of Africa and they never were touched by colonialism. They were never like conquered. They literally, it's just one nation that just completely flourished and they figured out everything (laughs) without any outside influence, right? It's this microcosm of humanity. And that's just so fascinating to me. And besides that, like, I'm curious about like how many Black Panthers we could see in this game, right? Like just in the movies alone, like in the MCU, we have T'Chaka T'Challa, we have Killmonger, we have, sorry, spoilers, Shuri. Like there's That's a lot of people who take this on this. Yeah. yeah, it's been a couple of years, but there's been a lot of people who have taken on this mantle, right? And I'm just curious to meet like whoever this Black Panther is, if there's more than one, like, uh-huh. is this going to cross over into any other properties where we've seen several other Black Panthers playing? Like, I know there's another game coming around with sort of a more historical setting with Captain America and Black Panther. Like, mm-hmm. I just really love the fact that we get to build out this lore even further. So I'm thrilled. I can't wait to see what they do. And clearly they're still building it. So I don't know. Maybe we'll get tidbits, but it, we're going to be in for a little bit of a Do you think original Black Panther? They could. It would make sense, especially if it's set in like present day, right? Like separate from the MCU. Ah. That'd be a very particular choice looking at how other games underneath Marvel have gone because Crystal Dynamics did that with the Avengers game and they created their own yeah. original storyline and it didn't hit the way Marvel wanted it to hit, right? Like as far but as... Guardians did okay though. Neither of those games, quote, met expectations, right? Sure. So like Crystal Dynamics didn't walk away from that feeling like a rock star, which was a bummer because I think we as fans of video games and as fans of Marvel and as fans of Crystal Dynamics can say those games were, I think, objectively good games, both of them in their own ways. But for some reason, you know, Bob and his suit over in marketing was like, not good enough. I'm slightly terrified of the idea of how the audience will react to an original Black Panther story versus looking at maybe even like a prequel story or a legacy story from the comics, like pre-T'Challa, right? Like, what if they went to that era of Black Panther? Could that be cool? But, Mm -hmm. I mean, the idea of being able to play, like, a super modern Black Panther sounds really freaking cool, too, though. Yeah. And it could be, like, well, I don't want to say build your own, but it could be just, (laughs) you know, that you get to color their their adventure with a little bit of your input, right? Since, I mean, it is third person, but... You know, maybe you get to choose some of uh, the new Black Panther story. I, I don't know. I'm just I like that they get to play around with this quote unquote sandbox. And I really want to know what it's like just to run around in Wakanda. And it's like, do they have like future snacks? <laughs> like, 
it's almost like going into like a new world in outer space, but it's like what would have happened here on earth if a civilization was given this incredible technology and just left alone to thrive. Like it's just fascinating to me. Yeah. I think it's going to be cool. I'm excited. Let's see it in two to five years. Uh, However long it's going to take. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Before we continue with the news, a quick word from our sponsor this week. This week's episode of What's Good Games is brought to you by HelloFresh. Where can you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep? You already know, everybody. It's HelloFresh. That's where... Tell the grocery stores, see you later, alligator. That's what I've been working on with my two-year-old, everybody. And count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. It's summertime, if you didn't know. Well, at least it is here in North America. And you can make your home the hangout place with crowd-pleasing eats. From a backyard bratwurst bar to tangy key lime pie, HelloFresh Market makes summer eating a cinch. Or maybe you're looking to eat a bit cleaner this summer. Well, HelloFresh's menu features calorie-smart and protein-smart lunch and dinner options, plus new vegan dinners to choose from. HelloFresh makes it easy to reach your food goals and flavorful recipes that will leave you feeling satisfied. The folks over at HelloFresh understand that you want options with what you make for dinner, not just the same old thing all the time. Well, let's be honest. I do order those firecracker meatballs every time they are on my HelloFresh menu, but they do offer 40 different recipes to choose from every single week, so you'll never get board and you can always find something new to try and love. My favorite thing right now, everybody, is the quick meals that they're offering, which are great for breakfast and lunch. Two of my go-tos, the cucumber tomato pita wraps, oh, so good for a little Greek sandy at lunch, or their new sweet and spicy avocado toast. Oh, my favorite new breakfast. Love, love, love. If you want to try HelloFresh for yourself, go to HelloFresh.com slash what's good 50 and use the code what's good 50 for 50% off plus free shipping. And it supports us here at What's Good games try america's number one meal kit for yourself and support the show by going to hellofresh.com slash what's good 50 and use code what's good 50 that's five zero for 50 percent off plus free shipping this episode is brought to you by reese's peanut butter cups in breaking news leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's continue on with the news. Just a couple quick things here. The ESA, the Entertainment Software Association, otherwise known as the people who put on E3, but also, as I've mentioned on the show several times... 
the people who do a lot of important foundation work and legal work on behalf of video game companies do this annual report every year. It's called the Essential Facts About the U.S. Video Game Industry. And I think I still have the actual printed out pamphlets from like years 2008 through like 2015 or whatever until they started doing digital. Because I loved these things. I always found them so fascinating. They talk about all of these different stats about video games. And they're even more fascinating now because of how global video games has become. So they published this earlier this week. And I just wanted to pull a couple stats because I thought these were kind of interesting little tidbits to talk about. So as most of us know and have known for a while, the gender diversity of gamers is actually pretty diverse, a lot more diverse than the internet would have you make believe. In fact, across all ages, video game players identify about half as female, 46%, and half male, 53%, with about 1% choosing not to identify one way or the other for the survey. So we're right like in that kind of split down the middle place that I feel like video games have been going over the last 10 years, which I think is awesome. It means Hell yeah. games for everybody. That's awesome. I think we know we still forget that sometimes. That Not that game is for everybody, but that, that split, 46-53, that's very, very close. And then, you know, you go into the whole rigmarole of, like, of course it is. You look at the way the game, video games have been marketed for throughout the years and the audiences that they draw. And no wonder people don't feel super welcome here. But that is very, that makes me happy. That makes me very, very happy. Yeah, smartphones remain the most used device for gaming. 64% of active players use a smartphone to play video games. So all you mobile haters are clearly in the vocal minority because the vast majority of people still Mm -hmm. gaming on their phone. At 12... You thought it was about Call of Duty? It's about King. Yes. (laughs) Let's remember that. And and Clash Royale and a bazillion other games. 12% of players exclusively use a smartphone to play games, which I think is an important stat to call call out that like there's a giant group of people who play games on multiple platforms but who choose to play most on their phone and I think that's really fascinating because it just indicates that mobile gaming has come a long way and that mobile games are great and those communities are great and this idea that people get mad when someone like Blizzard is like hey we have Diablo 4 mobile and then people get mad about it and then they're like oh yeah like gangbusters and millions of downloads and whatnot. (laughs) You know, mm-hmm. I just let people enjoy what they enjoy. One of my personal favorite stats, and please, ladies, from the ones that I've pulled, let me know if you have a personal favorite, is that 50% oh, of players say they have met a good friend, spouse, or significant other through video games. Hello, it's me. Uh, that Hello, it's the me. one I pick. Hello, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, if you want to stretch that out, like the whole reason Jason and I like initially clicked is because I asked him the very first question I asked him at the bar was, do you play video games? So like, hey, it's you too. Pick up line. Every yeah, it's, it's you that. too. It's, it's all literally, of us. <laughs> literally why I DM Danny. I was like, hey, do you want to play Hyperscape? I love it. <laughs> and you didn't meet. Yeah, you met John at a video game thing and we met each other through video games. Like they're great. Yeah. You know, I'm telling you. Video games are fantastic. 212.6 million Americans play video games every week. That's 65% of the population. That's a lot. Damn. We take it over. Oh, I like this one. 76% of U.S. parents play video games with their children. Yay. It's going to be all of us someday. Well, and even look at our childhoods. I know we played with our parents, too. That was something that we did, and that means a lot to me, and I know it means a lot to y'all, too. So, ah, 
like I, it's, these are nice, uplifting statistics. Yeah. I think it's interesting. 71% of players say games do a good job of creating welcoming and inclusive environments. Again, ah. vocal minorities are not what we need to think about when we're thinking about how far we have come. The work we do matters and it's making a difference. Yes. Amen to that. I love that. So this was really cool. If you guys want to check out the rest of the report, it is on the ESA's website. And hopefully we'll be able to talk more about these wonderful things and how video games are great soon. In fact, maybe now is a great time for me to call out that next week I'm going to be going to the Games for Change UN Gaming Summit and hosting the Games for Change Awards, which is a very exciting opportunity for me. I've never been to the Games for Change Festival before, but I've been very familiar with their work and followed them and all the awesome work they do. But the idea that I get to go to the festival and meet people who are doing wonderful, positive things in the space of video games and be part of the UN Summit where we get to talk to leaders from both the nonprofit and the video game sectors about how we as a collective community can put forward the positive message of video games to impact people's lives is something I'm super excited about. So follow me on my socials in order to find out where exactly you can watch the awards ceremony if you want to check that out. And I'll be giving you guys a recap when I'm back on the show. Ah, it's so exciting. It's going to be great. Are you going to wear a super sparkly dress? So I haven't figured out what I'm wearing yet. I have a couple options that I'm going back and forth between. So I'm trying to figure it out. So TBD. Watch the show okay. to find out what Andrea wears. Oh, man. <laughs> Britt, you want to take this uh, last huh. story? Yeah, this is just kind of piggybacking off that stat Regis read, which is 71% of players say games do a good job of creating welcoming and inclusive environments. Well, fuck you up. Xbox wants to catch toxic gamers in 4K with new voice recording report function. Because some of y'all just can't help yourselves being fucking dicks. Yep. Okay, so this comes from Games Radar. Xbox is rolling out voice chat recording for its report system in the hopes of catching toxic gamers in 4K. Xbox Player Services CVP Dave McCarthy unveiled Xbox voice reporting in a blog post. The feature will let players record a 60-second clip, quote, of an in-game voice incident that they believe violates our community standards and submit it as evidence to our Xbox safety team for review. It sounds like it will only capture the last 60 seconds of gameplay activity, so players may need to be quick on the draw. Xbox voice reporting will be available on the Series XS and Xbox One. It'll initially be available this week to Xbox Alpha and Alpha Skip users via the Insider Program and English Language Markets was built to quick save recordings and allow users to pull them up after they clear the current game to finish reporting the offending player. And clips captured this way will be saved for 24, quote, online hours, and you'll get a reminder from Xbox if you don't finalize the report within that window. Xbox says it's also updated its notifications to tell players whether the company, quote, took action on the report submitted. This is lovely. I love this. I think this is fantastic. I don't know why anyone would be against this, but of course they are. Well, and like, I think people hmm? were against this because the people were worried about the recording feature being used for nefarious purposes. So I don't know if y'all remember, but back when Xbox Series X and S and PS5 were launching, the PlayStation 5 came out right after their launch period, or actually I think it was during their launch period to say, hey, there, we have this feature where you can record people and report them for toxicity or abuse. And everyone was like, wait, you're just leaving the microphone on my controller open so that you can like catch me being a dick. Wait, that feels like a big privacy violation. And so there was a big like whoop to do 
about that because PlayStation implemented this a couple of years ago. I think you're right that in most situations, this is not being used for nefarious purposes. It's actually being used to make the community better. But y'all know that people are going to be mad about it. I mean, if you're opting in to chat, like, that's a public forum. Correct. Like, as long as the, the Yule is correct, right? Like, addresses it and everything. There's no argument to be made against it, truthfully. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's how... I know Overwatch did something similar, right? Like, was it two, a couple years ago? They were transcribing audio chat. I don't remember, but I know people also were very upset about that. But, you know, I hope in some way, shape, or form, I'm going to be very curious to see what kind of effect this ultimately has on the online toxicity within the, the chats and stuff. But maybe it'll scare some people. Like, you know, little Johnny, who knows poopy head, and he gets on the mic and he's like, oh, you're a poopy head. And he'd be like, oh, I'm not going to call anyone a poopy head because they're recording me now and it might get back to my mom and she might whoop my ass. Maybe it'll have that sort of effect. We can only hope. Yeah. But cool. I mean, I love just seeing steps being taken towards this. Is this the ultimate step that's going to fix everything? I don't think you ever can fix anything, but it is still a step. And I love seeing the trial and error, what works, what doesn't. You iterate off that and then you just create a more welcoming online environment because shit's fucked. What about those bullet points? Oh, hey, yeah. All right, so we have some, in case you missed it, Naughty Dog co-president Evan Wells is retiring at the end of the year, leaving Neil Druckmann in charge of the world. That's my words, <laughs> not IGN's. To fully take on the reins of one of PlayStation's best-known studios. In a message published on Naughty Dog's official site, Wells talked about his 30-year career in games and praised Druckmann, saying that he's, quote, incredibly confident that he's leaving the studio in the best hands. Well, we'll pour one out for you, Evan. Congrats on a fantastic run. Took Naughty Dog from zero to hero, as they say. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 $10 she comes back in the future. Just putting it out there. These, these mm. creatives he'll can't take stay a, He'll take a break, just, and then he'll start his own new studio that PlayStation will then buy, and he'll start a new thing, and <laughs> it'll be the, the next of whatever. Yeah, yeah we called it. Yeah. It's going to happen. Remember this. The next of the us. The next of yeah. us. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, real talk, though, the next of us, it'd be cool if these veterans, these legends of video games really took up mentoring in a really important and pivotal way. I know some of them really take Mm -hmm. that seriously and and do a lot of work in that regard with different foundations, the AIS and a variety of others. But Evan, obviously, take time and, you know, just chill on a beach somewhere if that's what you want. But if you do feel that itch to come back, maybe, you know, take a little youngins under your wing and like a Joel and Ellie situation, you know? Come on. You can call it like innocent puppies. The polar opposite of Naughty Dog. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, anyway. The last bullet point I pulled is that we got another look at the Twisted Metal TV show, the Cox TV show, if you will. And it actually doesn't look that bad. I don't know. Like, if this has been the trailer that had been shown off from the get-go. Because, listen, I've always been of the mindset of it's Twisted Metal. It's going to be stupid in a good way. But literally everything they showed up until this last trailer was like, oh, this actually just doesn't even look fun. It doesn't even really look that good, I guess. Eh." Mm. But this last trailer they showed, I'm like, okay. This is it. There's some of your iconic guys in there. You see Outlaw, you see Thumper, you see Twister, you see uh, Darkseid. Like some of the most iconic Twisted Metal characters are in there. Blink and you'll miss them, but they're in there. Like just just give it a shot. I think this is coming out in like a week. Very soon, it's yes. a couple weeks. Very soon, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So take a look at it. Watch it. If you were kind of like me and you were really hyped and now you were kind of worried and now I'm hyped again. Yeah, the 27th. Yeah, there we go. Well, I guess it. time will tell. We'll give you guys a recap. After it all comes out, I'm going to watch and hope for the best. I've not had a lot of 
experience playing the Twisted Metal games. I wouldn't call myself like a big Twisted Metal fan, but I like good TV. Yeah. And to be clear, it still looks really stupid, <laughs> but in a fun kind of stupid. Like in the Twisted Metal intentionally stupid Absolutely. kind of way. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I like good stupid. All right. Well, everybody, we have got some more video games to talk about, including our hands-on time. Or I should say Brit's hands-on time with Baldur's Gate 3. You know you want to hear it. Stick with us. We'll be right back. everybody it is the second segment of the what's good games podcast where we talk about what we've been playing in any preview events we have been to and guess what i've been to a preview event but i can't tell you about it it's secret for now but it's a game that y'all are gonna want to hear about (laughs) (laughs) and again i love how Rhea and i are like oh really oh my god like we don't know what it is I mean, fine. listen, we have to talk about confidential things amongst ourselves, you know, for planning purposes for work. I but appreciate yes. the commitment, Rita. I should have played along with you. <laughs> you out. She was like, ooh, what's the surprise? A game? <laughs> a game? <laughs> That's under embargo? Um, I love you both so much. But we have cool things to talk about this week, including Brittany's Belgium trip. But before we get to that... We want to give a huge shout out to our amazing elite patrons at patreon.com slash what's good games. We love reading your names every month and sorry that we didn't get to it last month because of me being sick and then the pre-records. But we want to give you your mispronounced shout out now. Starting with Harry Krishna Meta. Starting off with a banger. Decime. Maniacal Mouse. Bill Rosas. (laughs) Casual Blasphemy. Omega Buster. Daniel Hall. Lynn Sovig. Chewie's godson. Excess. Aradis. Tara Bruno. Trent Berry. Sean Eyeball. <laughs> Brian R. Johnston. Justin Foshi. Patrick Deer Landry. Punctified. Rob Lannert. Trent Bennington. Ferris Atia. Jessica Bloom. Patrick Weller. Noel Neveraz. No, that's wrong. <laughs> Navarez. <laughs> Tyler McCall. <laughs> never, never land. Adrian Rock Williams. <laughs> Shy Jackson Burgess. Gary Peck. Robert F. Freemring. Carl Milner. Wall of Bill. Teresa Ener. Jason Demez. Andrew Cotton. <laughs> Geo Corsi. <laughs> I had to do it just because you always yeah, add those words. I, know, I appreciate it. I had to do it. <laughs> Nicole Humphrey. John Drake. And Travis Stocky. Thank you, one. Thank you all for supporting us. I love seeing these familiar names and also some familiar faces. We've gotten to see some of you in the past couple of months. And thank you for supporting us and supporting What's Good Games. We love y'all. If you want us to read your name and make a silly joke about it, it helps sometimes to have a silly name, as we mentioned at the top of the show. But also, you know, we'll do our best to say your name as best as we can. We love y'all. Patreon.com slash What's Good Games. Now, without further ado, I must know all about the waffles. And an awesome, awesome trip. So maybe like a month ago, I got an email and they're like, yo, you want to come to Belgium and play Baldur's Gate 3 in a castle in a crypt? So I was like, 
is the Pope Catholic? Like, fuck yeah, like, let's go. <laughs> when I tell you, this was a whirlwind of a trip, but one of the coolest preview events and just cool trips I've ever been on. So, yeah, so obviously huge shout out to Larian and the fine folks at Sandbox Strategies for making this an incredibly fun trip, smooth sailing, so much fun. A bunch of Baldur's Gate 3 stuff happened while we were away on our little break, ladies. Most importantly, we got some new release dates. So now the game is coming out from August 31st, August 3rd on PC. So it got moved up. The PlayStation 5 version has now been bumped back six days to September 6th. And this is to ensure that the game hits 60 FPS, among other things. Xbox is still kind of MIA and MIA for a reason. We all know like they're trying to master the split screen on the Xbox Series S and they're having a really difficult time with that. And because Xbox requires, you know, that they both that the Series S and Series X get the same features, they can't just like cut it out, but they're working on it. Okay, so let's talk about Baldur's Gate just for those maybe they don't know. So the original Baldur's Gate was made by BioWare in 1998. There was a sequel a few years later. We've had some spinoffs and whatnot, but this is now Baldur's Gate 3, the true sequel. It takes place about 100 years after Baldur's Gate 2. It has all new characters, so if you are unfamiliar with Baldur's Gate in any way, shape, or form, don't let the three scare you. Don't be scared. You can hop right in, and you will have a good time. Now, if you have played the other games, you'll, there'll be some characters that'll come back, and you'll be like, hey, my goodness, good to see you again. And they'll be like, yes, let's bang. I don't know if they're going to want to bang you. Okay, so the plot of Baldur's Gate 3, essentially TLDR, is you are a player, and you've been captured by Mind Flayers, and they've lost launched an invasion, and they insert this, I think it's called Illithid. I don't know how to say it. I'd, whatever. Don't get mad at me, Craig. Tadpole, which is capable of transforming you into a Mind Flayer yourself, but before you transform transform the ship you're on crashes and then you're like oh crap I have to get this son of a bitch out of my head how do I do that and then your adventure begins and so this is this whole trip this whole thing was really cool for me because Jason was able to come with me as y'all know he is my divinity original sin one and two partner he is my co-op partner in general and he was able to come with and play this game with me in split screen ps5 co-op which has been I think the question a lot of folks have had is how does this run on console how does it run on split screen but I'll get to that in a little bit Shout out to everyone who lives in Belgium. Beautiful little country. I got to see Ghent, Bruges, Brussel. I think is how you say it. I had the waffle, like Andrea said. It was a big old fat wiener-esque banana on it, and it was delicious. Loved your country. It was really pretty. Okay, anywho. So the other cool thing about this trip that I got to do was attend the panel from hell. And I don't know if y'all saw the whole bear sex thing that went down. Did y'all see that? I think I would remember okay. if I saw a bear sex thing. Okay, great. I'll tell down. you all about it. It's great. These are many showcases that have happened throughout the development of Baldur's Gate 3, specific to Baldur's Gate 3. And it's a fun way for Larian to deliver news to fans. They dress up. Swen wears, like, armor. It's, it's just a really good time. So we got to actually be in the audience for one of these. And there's this romance scene that we're finally kind of getting sneak peeks at or whatever. And you have Halson, who is a druid. And then you have Asterion, who is this vampire. Two of, like, probably the most lusted after vampires our vampires characters in all Baldur's Gate 3. And so, like, they're getting ready to do some, like, sexy time. And the druid gets so fired up that he shifts into a bear. And now you have, like, this naked man and you have a bear, like, staring at each other with sexy eyes. And then the druid's like, oh, shit, this is awkward. Then he unshifts and then he's a druid again. And he's like, yo, I'm so sorry. And then we as the audience were able to determine what the vampire Austerian said. Okay, and this is what we went with because we're a whole bunch of sick fucks. Don't apologize. I like it. Change back again. Let me have the beast. And the beast have me. Uh, and then the bear druid was like, are you certain? It will be untamed, vigorous, and well, large. 
And then we all responded with, large is what I'm here for. And then they banged. And then they banged. And I didn't get to see the nitty gritty, thank God, because that's just so fucking weird. I mean... <laughs> I would say I have questions, but I don't want answers. So no, no questions. I couldn't. No questions I couldn't me. even give. And if you watch the replay of the live stream, you can hear me yell very distinctly. I have regrets. You can hear me saying <laughs> that because I did have regrets. Because once it actually started happening, I'm like, this is so wrong on so many levels. But regardless if it's wrong or right, and it is very wrong, it got a lot of attention online. And now yeah. Baldur's Gate Three is like number six or seven on Steam's top selling games. And I don't know what they were before, but regardless, like it worked out really well for. And it was a really fun moment and one I'll never forget, for better or for worse. So some of the, the the reason that we were flown out here to play this game is that, as you all know, this game has been in early access since I think October of 2020. So it's been in there for a hot, hot minute. And they've actually added since early access 33% more content to just Act 1, which is all that early access entails. And so they've been listening and they've been iterating and they've added a lot of features that they you know, were excited to show us, if you will. So some of the things we got to see, I won't go too deep into this. We got more character creation options. And Baldur's Gate 3's character creation is already like out of this world. And that the fact that they added more is really cool. But the other major thing I want to talk about is respecking. Respecking was confirmed to be in this game. And I guess in D and D, this is very controversial. Like I don't know, I'm not balls deep in D and D, but I'm glad that they are making this an option because the way that you can customize and build your characters in this game is just absolutely unreal, and it impacts a lot about the the dialogue options you get, the the options, the way you're treated. Like it impacts your entire world. So. Just to start, Baldur's Gate 3 features 11 races with 31 sub-races. And this is just at launch. And these are just the races. Get out of here. No. Go away. It's too many. No. It's, it's, it's too many. It sounds like a lot, but I promise you, it's it's not meant to be intimidating. It's just meant to let you... It's like, okay, let's say, Andrew, you're like, I want to be a gnome. Because I know you're a gnome in our D&D sessions that we play. Right? Yes. Okay. So a you rock can be, gnome. Mm-hmm, and that's the first... To be specific. That's the first subclass. You can be a rock gnome. And if you choose to be a rock gnome, that gives you plus one to constitution. It, it improves your dark vision even more. You can be a deep gnome or you could be a forest gnome. And these have plus one of dexterity. It can speak with animals once per long rest. So, okay, so how much of the D&D rules are they taking from? All. All of it. Hmm. All of it. Obviously, some of it has to be modified to fit a video game. But it is fifth edition D&D. And that is okay. through and through. Yeah, so that's why your little rock gnome friend is in here. Yeah. Well, so that, in that case... Let's See? go. Let's see. But then other races like humans don't have subclasses. So that's just something to keep in mind. And then when you go to the actual classes themselves, okay, let's say Andrea's like, I'm going to be a rock gnome, but what class am I going to be? There are 12 classes with 46 subclasses. It sounds like a lot. So let's say you want to be a ranger. You could do a hunter subclass, a beast master subclass, a gloom stalker subclass. And I know it sounds like a lot, but all it essentially is, is I think we all know what kind of builds we like. Like I know Andrea's usually a sorcerer or a ranger or whatever. And so it's not like she's going to be looking at the barbarian or the or the other ones. You know, she's going to say, OK, I want to be the sorcerer. And these are my three options. And these are the buffs they give me. What sounds cool? Then off you go. But uh, again, it's just like they're taking that fifth edition and just really like hammering it home. So not only do uh, you have. Question. Yeah. What if there are people who are like, I love RPGs and I love the idea of playing Baldur's Gate, this fantasy RPG with this rich history. But I don't know squat about D&D and D&D classes. Yeah. Am I going to be overwhelmed? Am I just going to like nope out of this? 
So that is a concern I have, and there are tutorials in this game. However, the kind gentleman who was helping me with my demo station turned them off, so I wasn't able to experience them for myself or how effective they actually are. Because they know are. you're hardcore. Well, they're I like, mean, they're like the blonde nerd doesn't need these tutorials, <laughs> but mm. she does. Because, <laughs> um, like, you know, I'm not that familiar. The only exposure I have to D and D is our like once a year romp, and we haven't had one except for Pax East before that. So I was rusty, and so like the first 20 minutes of my demo, I'm like, okay, sure. Short rest, okay, remember that. Long rest, remember that. What's a bonus action? What's this and that? And so it's not, even Divinity, the games had a learning curve to them. So I think I was able to pick it up, but it is a concern of mine. And unfortunately, I can't speak to how well the tutorial system works. But I think, you know, if you've played RPGs before, you have an idea what strength does. You know what constitution does. Wisdom, you have an idea. And as long as I think you can hover over those stats and it'll show you what stat that actually impacts, I think it'll be easier said than done. And it's all very, like, visceral. Like, you know, if the game is like your attack is a 1d6 plus 2, you roll the dice in front of you. Like, the dice physically rolls, right? And so you can kind of get an idea of how that works. So it's going to be, it's hard to really say too much about that. But again, like any Larian game, I'll say just expect a learning curve and expect to be a little confused probably at first. But I think the pieces will fall into place. It can sound, it sounds a little overwhelming though. So again, you have all these races, these subclasses. And on top of all of that, you can now multi-class. So let's say Andrea's like, yo, I want to be a wizard gnome who can smack shit with an axe. Well, congratulations, baby. You can do that if you want to. My dream has come true. (laughs) I know, actually, that's always one of of Jason's complaints because he loves to be a sorcerer, but he wants to be able to wield heavy armor. I'm like, that seems illegal. But he always tries to do it. (laughs) It, Yeah, Yeah, that's the way that works. You shouldn't know. No, you shouldn't be able to do both of those things. That's not fair. That's not fair. But each (laughs) level, you'll have the option to choose a different class to spend points on and begin building a bespoke multi-class character. Character. But should you decide to evenly spread all of your points into every class for no strategic reason whatsoever, there's naturally an achievement for that too. So they know you can totally build fucked up characters and they want you to encourage to do that knowing that you can respect. Anywho, so that's that's fucking cool. I, I love this this bespoke character customization. I think that's just wonderful and lovely and I'm very excited to create my barbarian that's going to smack shit and ask questions later. So the other thing we saw that was really cool during this new build that we got hands-on with was this origin character called the Dark Urge. And if you're like, yo, what's an origin character? I will tell you, friends. So origin characters are, so you, you boot up the game and it's like, create a character or do you want to choose an origin character? And these origin characters are playable heroes and each have their own stories, desires, and thoughts about the world all around you. So essentially, if you play as one of these characters, you're experiencing the story through their eyes. The story itself doesn't really change, but you know the way you experience it is going to be cemented to that character you're playing as. Now, if you create your own character, you can recruit these origin characters to your party and they can become your companions. So you can play as, again, like someone who's already pre-made, pre-built, they have their whole like life's history and da-da-da-da, or you can start brand new. So Andrea can make her beautiful, lovely, red-haired rock gnome and she can then recruit all of these characters like the druid and the vampire into her party. Or you can choose to play as one of these characters and experience the story through their eyes. Or she can pick one character and I can pick another character and we can see how they play off of one another as we experience the story together. It's pretty remarkable the all of the writing and the and the narrative that Larian has had to take into consideration to make this story work. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. Anywho, so you have this new origin character called the Dark Urge. And what makes him different from all the other ones is you can actually customize this guy's appearance. 
You can make your class and race be whatever you want it to, your gender, your overall appearance, even your name. And essentially, the Dark Urge is this character who is a serial killer, but he doesn't remember he's a serial killer. All he knows is that he wants to just murder shit 24-7. <laughs> and it's up to you whether or not you give in to that or you resist the urge to kill. And, you know, maybe you'll wake up in a camp after taking a rest and there's a dead body next to you. And then you have the choice, like, do I have to hide this body or should I just confess to what happened? And how is that going to impact my, my companions? all around me. One example we saw is Gale, one of the, the main origin characters in the beginning. He's sticking his arm through a portal. like He's trying to come to you, the Dark Urge character, and he's asking for help. But because you are the Dark Urge and you are a serial killer, you have the option to actually like eat his arm. And you can eat his arm and you can kill Gale and then he'll be gone for the rest of the story. Wow. And so, yeah, there's all of that flexibility um, when it comes to this. Each session you go through, the story is going to just reflect on that. And that's why when earlier Laren had talked about that what was like 174 hours of cinematics, I don't know if y'all saw that tweet, but they came out that they have 174 hours of cinematics, making it more than twice the length of every season of Game of Thrones combined. More dialogue than all, Girl, than, more what? dialogue than three times all Who of the Lord of the Ring the novels. Time? Who got the Larian, time? They've been, well, that's what I'm saying. Okay, well, Larian's worked on it for six years, but us, but that's, when that came out, a lot of people were like, oh, my God, like, who's got the time? I'm never going to do this. But you're not meant to. This is just meant to support any gameplay you want, any story you want to create. You know, that was something that was asked a lot with the narrative team and the cin cinematics team is, you know, a lot of people are never going to see this work that you created. You know, a lot of people aren't going to see this. Does that upset you? And they're like, no, because they're, they are going to be able to see the story that they've created for themselves. So all y'all get your panties on twisted. You're not going to be forced to sit through 174 hours of cinematics. It's going to be fine. But the point is, is like they've thought of like, it seems like everything. And that, oh my God, it's just so, so exciting. Okay. And then the other thing I got to talk about, of course, is the banging and the relationships in this game. I'll make this quick. So typically in video game romances, it goes as follows. You find a character you love. I'm like, hello, Alistair. I love you. I want to bone you. Okay. I'm going to be nice to you. I'm going to flirt with you. And maybe I'll give you like a present and then you'll end up in my pants. But in Baldur's Gate 3, they don't want the banging to quote, be more than a trophy for complying with a companion quest line. In fact, you're encouraged to argue with your companion. You're encouraged to challenge them and fight with them because if you don't, you may, quote, find yourself sacrificed in an evil god's sex rite, turn into a vampire, or maybe you'll end up married. Who could say? So I really like this realistic perspective on a relationship because I think for me, I always just want to like agree with everyone because I want to bang him in games. I didn't get too much time to play as much time as I had hoped because our initial pregame brief presentation went long because the founder, Swin, who I love very, very much, took one wrong step in his gameplay demo. You know, like he knew what he wanted to do, but he did one wrong step and it took us down this like two hour unscripted gameplay session. And Ooh. it was hilarious. Wow, it, that's kind of cool though. <laughs> It is so cool and it all works and it it's he's so funny. He's his own he's a you know game's biggest fan, like as you would think. But he's up there playing, he's like, I'm so bad at this game, I don't even know how how do I do this? He's like calling on like the producers to be like, What is this? How do I use magic missile? It was just really cute and it was really <laughs> fun and it was so damn entertaining. Eventually he just had to like load a, a save game state. It was super duper fun to watch that and just watch how everything acted and reacted around him because he was screwing himself over because he made all the wrong decisions. Anywho, so like I said, we got to play split screen PlayStation 5 co-op. And when I play this game, I want to play it on console. Like I love the I love the PCs, kind of, but console is where I'm at. Unfortunately, this is delayed a little bit longer. But very curious to know how is it gonna run? 
especially since there is so much happening in this game at any given moment. How the hell is the game, the PlayStation 5, going to render two separate screens on the same console on one TV? But, you know, I'm really happy to say, like, it worked relatively well. I mean, obviously, this game is being delayed on PS5 for a reason. You know, they're not hitting the targeted 60 FPS, which I know they really wanted to. And sometimes it can look a little sluggish or maybe the textures weren't fully popping in. But the fact that this even works at all is some sort of like magic that I don't understand. Because you can do, I can be on the left side of my screen doing anything I want. Jason can be on the right side doing whatever he wants. But it goes beyond just gameplay. I'm talking fully rendered cinematics. I might be seeing like a scripted, beautiful, like tragic death of a main character on my side. And he might be like banging his head against the wall, like halfway across the map on the other side. Or maybe he's pickpocketing someone. The fact that both of these run and there's so much choice and consequence is pretty remarkable. And it's remarkable. split screen. And it's split screen. That's bonkers because... You know, Destiny does that, but that's online. So, like, Re and I could be in a fire team, and I could be watching a cutscene, and she could be, like, you know, talking to a vendor, you know, buying mm-hmm. whatever. It works great. But, like, the fact that they did that in split screen is bananas. It's cuckoo bananas. But also, why, Larry? And why make yourself do that much work? Where, I mean, I would love to hear from Larry what the stats are for the people in their audience who buy... Baldur's Gate or their, you know, Baldur's Gate 3 or their previous titles who actually play in split screen and how long they do it. And clearly it must be a gigantic number if they're going to put this much investment into it. You know, I don't know if it is because we were chatting with one of the developers there and he was like, yeah, like the vast majority don't play multiplayer. And I was like, that's surprising to me. But why do it? Why bend over backwards to do it? I think it's because that's always been crucial to their to them as a studio. You look at Divinity, Original Sin, Original Sin 2. I think they know that not enough games do this. And even though it is a small amount of maybe percentage of folks, it is such an incredible experience, you know, when you get to play a game like this with someone else on couch co-op. And I think that's just been remained very integral to them and very important to them as a studio. So when they did have this opportunity, they're like, we can't, we don't want to like get rid of this just because, you know, we're working on a big Baldur's Gate IP. But this is also, again, like part of the reason why they're having so much trouble with the Xbox Series S. <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's there's that parody, and um, they've brought in Microsoft engineers to try to fix it. And I know they're still working on it, but there's still no ETA, and that's exactly why, Andrea. Yeah, like it's 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 not coming anytime soon. Just I can't see. Stop, stop the madness, and just say, y'all, we love the idea that y'all want to play a split screen. You can only do it on PC. That's it. Boom. Done. Oh, you can play co-op. No. You can play co-op on console, online co-op, no problem. Split screen, PC only. I'm telling you, people will not be mad. There might be, you know, vocal minority. People will be like, me, 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 me. But, like, it's fine. Like, <laughs> what they're doing is incredible. And I think hopefully they work it out. But I think players would rather be told, hey, it's going to be broken if we try to do split-screen co-op on console because the infrastructure of the hardware just can't support it. And if you want to play, we can only do online multiplayer. Do you think that that's wrong? Is that a bad take? I don't think it's a bad take, but I just don't think it's realistic because I don't know if they knew until two, until it was already implemented and working on PS5. Maybe until it was implemented working on the Series X. Like, oh shit, this has given us a lot more problems than we thought. And then at that point, since it works on PS5, great, and it works on the Series X, great, do you just say, you can't just cut it from the Series S because Microsoft won't let you do that. So now what do they do? <sighs> they, do they cut it from the PS5? Do they cut it from the Series X? Like, you can't do that. I mean- so. I mean, cut it from the Series S. Cut it from the Series S. 
You know? You can't. That's the problem. This Xbox won't let you. It has This feature mm-hmm. can't... Major features like that can't be cut from an X to an S. The only thing that's allowed, from what I understand again, is, you know, obviously there's going to be, like, fidelity issues, obviously, between the two. But a major feature being cut is just not in the cards. But maybe that's what it's going to come back down to. Because now that Microsoft's engineers are working on it, I'm assuming they're going to have a better idea. This sounds like another, like, the right step in that direction if they yeah. go back to Big Daddy and is like, it's not working, guys. We got to, like... <laughs> Because, like, they're missing out by not getting this game on their console. Like, they're missing out. Well, here's the Mm -hmm. thing that they're really missing out on is a release window to sell copies of their game to people who are playing on console. Because when you delay your release on console into freaking September, you're now up against Starfield and everything else coming out that month. And I think it literally releases on the day of Starfield. Yes. And I think it's great that they (laughs) got the PC release out early and that people have been playing in early access. They were never going to have to hard sell this to PC players. They were always going to have to hard sell this to console RPG players who haven't played Divinity or haven't played other Larian games or who aren't invested in Baldur's Gate as a franchise. And you are not going to win those people over over Starfield. Not this year. Unless they hate space, which, let's be honest, there are plenty of people that do hate space games. That's true. I mean, I prefer high fantasy games, but Baldur's Gate, though, is is an investment, is like an intellectual investment to play that game. So I'm concerned, and I feel for their team, because I know they didn't make that decision lightly, and I just go, oh, man, that's a fucking bummer that you had to push your release date right into Starfield's window. I know, I know. Well, the good news is, is if you want to play on PC, there is cross-save. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I'm going to probably do is I'm going to sweet-talk those folks at Larian. I'm like, can I get a PC review code, please? And then I'll just play on PC because it also supports controller support, which is even better. As they do, um, PS- yeah. As, yep, the PS5 controller And they're not going to wipe so- it before, before launch, right? <laughs> No, oh, Lord. No, Lizard, we love you. We love Diablo 4, but that was rough We're chuckles, not. okay? It was rough. That was really <laughs> rough, yeah. So I'm going to play split-screen co-op with a PS5 controller on my PC, and then when it comes to PS5, I'll just take take my save and start on the PS5 again. That's my strategy anyway. I don't know how many people are actually going to do that, but I'm going to do that. The PS5 UI, speaking of, uh, looks great. So you have a bunch of radial menus, and then I'll touch on this real quick. You have, yeah, radial menus instead of the hot bars that you have on PC. And what's great about the radial menus is you can customize these you can add more menus if you want because I think where it could get confusing for folks is if you cannot like freely make your menus as you want them because you know maybe you want all of your spells on one menu or maybe you want all of your bonus actions on another menu this way you can customize it and make it work as you want and again like I said it wasn't running at a full 60 but that's fine the TLDR is it looks great on console it ran great on console obviously this game is being delayed for for many reasons many like smaller reasons and so I think these are all things that can be quickly according to them but of course they're going to tell me what I want to hear fixed before their um, September 6th launch on PS5 um, I already talked about how I'm worried it's not going to be an easy game to pick up if you haven't played these games before um, not to mention if you've never played D&D before but I, I can only hope that these tutorials actually are very beneficial and helpful. This game still is in early access. Your save in early access will not transfer to your to the final game. But if you want to check it out and you want to kind of get a feel of of how it looks and feels and plays, like that's always an option for you. But I mean, at this point, why would you start a character when it's going to get wiped in a few weeks anyway? Yes, um, but I did want to call yeah. out on Steam. Yes, my dear. 
It has over 57,000 very positive reviews and is at a 9 out of 10 with user reviews for early access on Steam. Nice. So I think that that's yeah. indicative of how people are enjoying the game. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's been incredible. Just the fan reaction. And I think for me, like, I've obviously I've always been excited for this game, but seeing kind of in depth how much is going into this and how much effort and how much shenanigans Larian is pulling off. It's absolutely like mind boggling and unreal. And I can't see, I mean, there, I can't see how this isn't my, my game of the year at this point. It's going mean, to overtake making... Final Fantasy 16. Yes. Oh Ooh. shit. Oh, boy. Now we're yeah. getting spicy. Oh, we're getting spicy. I know someone asked me on Twitter. The year of dreams, the year of video game dreams. Man. Girl, it is going to overtake Resident Evil 4 Remake. Like, <gasps> I'm telling you, like, this game is so special. And, I, and I, I'm really happy that the guy banged the bear because I feel like somehow <laughs> that... <laughs> A little bestiality is all you it. needed. For some viral marketing, like, who would have thought? Also, I was in the audience that I encouraged that. So, Larian, you can send me my paycheck. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, I'm just super proud of Larian. I've always loved that studio. It feels like they're still able to retain their identity despite working on this huge-ass game. There's moments of tenderness, of heartbreak, but there's also lots of silliness. And the game can be anything you want it to be. Average playthrough, they're saying, without doing everything, 75 to 100 hours. Obviously, if you want to do everything, you can probably multiply that by two or three. Is there any way you're going to see everything this game has to offer? Probably not. I mean, I'm talking you'd have to create every character, every class, every race, make all of the different decisions. And I don't know if I've mentioned this. I think I just assume everyone knows. But obviously, choice and consequence in this game is just like, it's it's huge. Like, this is what this game is built around. And it's not some bullshit choice and consequence. It's like... I saw multiple situations where one character was in a situation after doing one thing and the same character was in that same situation after doing another thing. And it's just vastly different scenes, dialogue, deaths, you know, banter. It's fucking incredible. And this is just me pleading with everyone. If this sounds like something you're interested in, absolutely check it out. Look into it. I think what they're pulling off is just nothing short of incredible. Dude. I mean, but like, how do you make the decision? Talking about coming off of our Game of the Year so far episodes... Well, you, Brittany, you were like, you're Jeff Keeley on stage opening the envelope for whatever award. RPG of the year. Do you think it's going to go to Baldur's Gate? I think it could. Well, this is, oh, fuck, it's so hard. Like, I think what, what Larian has going against them is it's Bethesda. It's Starfield. Like, that's how, and you got Final Fantasy 16. Like, how, you, you can go against that. And I think they're going to. I think with Baldur's Gate. I mean, would you though, call gonna- Zelda an RPG or would you put that in action adventure? Oh my god, you're gonna get so many people mad in the comments. I mean, oh I mean, I would call it. I it's would call tough, it action right? adventure with RPG elements. Like, I don't know what you <laughs> I, like anymore. Every every genre is just like a fucking RPG anymore. Like, I can see Baldur's Gate absolutely winning this. I think it will be deserving of winning it. I'm not like trying to shit on. You know, I haven't talked about Final Fantasy 16 in a while, but I think when it comes to just like pure RPG mechanics, I think Starfield and Baldur's Gate is where like the the heads ahead is going to go. And I think my personal will 100% be Baldur's Diablo is not even in the conversation? No, no. Really? Wow. What a I year. I mean, it's fantastic. Dude. It's fantastic. But I, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot. It's 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 an impo- <laughs> it's an impossible decision. Is and what I it is. love Diablo 4. I love it. But just like taking every element into, into consideration, like, I think there's some shortcomings of Diablo 4 where Baldur's Gate 3 is going to absolutely excel. But the problem is they're two very different RPGs, but they all get lumped into the same category. But, oh, my God, it's going to be wild. It's going to be absolutely wild. I think um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, oof. I'm so excited, y'all. I'm Dude. so excited for this game. Okay, okay. Wow. Well, certainly one to watch. It's hard to follow that, but Rihanna is going to try <laughs> with a very different game that you've I'm been playing. I'm very excited to hear about this, though. And I'll keep it much more brief, <laughs> even though I've played quite a bit of this game. So Oxenfree 2 from Night School. Shout out to the team for sending me a review code. And I have a video going up at some point this week. So catch it on my socials. Uh, they send over uh, a really cool gear pack modeled after some of the stuff in the game as well. So I have not played Oxenfree 1. And I know it's one of those games that it probably would have been up my alley. I just missed it, honestly. Like, the, the year it came out just wasn't on my radar. I had heard about it after the fact. Just never went back and played it. So my impression of this game will be very much coming from a place of ignorance of how great the first one was because I've heard it has been is well received and I know a lot of people love it quite a bit, which is why they were so excited about a sequel. But for Oxenfree 2... I, A, was creeped out. It is kind of creepy. It was spooky. It, it, it got me a couple of times. I was like, oh. <laughs> and I played this on my Steam Deck. I was given a PC code. And it works fantastic in handheld. And at first, you don't know exactly what's happening. But you very quickly realize, like, oh, I'm being haunted. Right? <laughs> like, it's just like, oh, everything's haunted. Great. And at that point, you just kind of chalk it up. And you're like, now I'm just going to try to focus on solving the mystery of why I'm being haunted. Like, why everything's going tits up. And mm -hmm. at that point, it sort of throws you for a loop by giving you these two tools, right, to interact with the world. So you're playing as this character, Riley, who is returning to this place called uh, Kamina. It's a place where she has been before. You learn throughout the game and through dialogue trees and conversations you have why she's come back and why she left as well. She is partnered pretty much the, I won't say pretty much, but for quite a bit of the game with uh, this companion character we see in the YouTube video here, Jacob. And between Jacob and Riley, you start noticing lots of different threads that you can pull on throughout the game as narrative beats. So you of course have these dialogue options. You can see there's like three word bubbles every time you have a conversation with somebody and you can choose like if you're gonna be spicy, if you're a bit nihilistic mm -hmm. or if you're like a true believer. And depending on how you interact with folks through these different dialogue options, you'll start to like pull on different threads of that narrative, as I said, and they will change depending on your answer. So it's definitely not anything as deep as Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> this game is, uh, I want to say, around 10 or so hours total. But <laughs> it's impressive how they do the storytelling, right? And there's some light exploration that's rewarded with um, notes and letters between different characters in the game. And you can start to unravel a bit more of the, the the backstory of like what happened in this place that has led it to being haunted as fuck. But what I really, really loved more than anything is these two tools that they gave you and how it feels like you're really, truly discovering things. So you have a walkie talkie and you have a radio and on the radio, you can dial up and down to receive um, inputs from different channels. On the walkie talkie, you have nine different channels that you can try to contact people on. 
And at different points throughout the game, you'll hear different things on both. So the radio doesn't, it has some standard channels. Like there's a baseball game that's always on one channel um, that Jacob has to turn into is the tutorial. Uh, but then there's a couple of other channels that give you some insights into maybe other people that you can talk to. Then you go over to your walkie talkie, go over to that, cha- go over to that person's uh, channel one through nine. And then you start talking to them because you heard them on the radio. So there's lots of interesting interactions like that throughout the entire game there are entire characters you can completely miss Mm -hmm. if you're not tuned into it and the way that you interact with them changes what's happening in your game so it's very fascinating just as a completionist trying to figure out all of the things that are hidden in this game the creepy story aside like it is very fun (laughs) a really peaceful moody type of atmosphere the music is very engaging but even like just the crunch of the ground underneath your footsteps is like sort of trance like like it, it definitely puts you in sort of like a zoned out mode and then all of a sudden you see something you're like ah fuck <laughs> like they got me oh, no. so I don't know I, I found it to be enjoyable even though it did scare me a little bit and I'm trying really hard not to get into spoilers which is difficult but I, I really love the the gameplay aspects and, and I liked how it's as mysterious as you want it to be and you can find everything or leave stuff. The characters make it very clear like, hey, if we get on this boat, then we won't mm-hmm. be able to come back, right? So they let you know when you're about to X something off of your list permanently. I really enjoy my time with it. The voice acting is fantastic. And uh, yeah, I'm going to try to do a 100% playthrough, but I don't even know if I can achieve that. Because it's pretty question. scary. Yes. Um, the first Oxen Free I loved, but the backtracking was very tedious because the characters mm. walked very slowly. Did you yeah. find that there was a lot of backtracking necessary in this one? And if so, was it annoying? Yes. Not a lot of backtracking, but as much as you know, you kind of bring upon yourself by not figuring everything out the first ah. time you go somewhere. As far as does it take long now, it's maybe like at the most 30 seconds to get from one end of the game to the other. So, oh, okay. That's nice then. Yeah. It's not too bad. Patient. Okay. 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 And then the whole time you're walking and moving around, if there's been like maybe let's say 10 seconds of silence, Jacob or Riley will start talking to each other. So there's always more and more to discover. One complaint that I do have is there actually were two moments where when you transition between one screen and another and two characters are still talking to each other, there's a little pop up that says, hey, would you like to go here? If you do, your conversation will continue. I did that once and the conversation didn't continue because a new one popped up when I entered the new area that was just triggered. And I lost the original conversation. And me and Jacob were about to like make, make plans and do stuff together and be friends. And I was like, oh, no. Like, I lost the ability to become his friend. Like, oh, no. So that's good. So maybe if there's a conversation you don't want to miss, just kind of, like, meander around until it's done. Yeah. Just, okay. just you know, stall, stretch a little bit. Um, there's another where I won't give up what it is, but I, I entered an area and um, I noticed something in the world, like a sound, and I was trying to go towards it. But I got distracted and went to a different area and I came back. The sound was gone and I couldn't get it to trigger again. Uh-huh. So now I get to I don't ever get to go investigate what that was. And I'm like, well, well holy crap what like what did i miss like i just want to know and so there's there's a lot of that is it easy to keep track of your objectives yes so in the game in addition to the map that you can pull up you also have a notebook that's always right next to the map where riley's scribbling down like okay here's the next thing i need to do and she'll like point to the area you have to go to and it's easy to keep track of it i did have a slight bug on one of my map updates where it looked like two things written over each other. I think it was just a visual glitch Mm. in the copy that I was playing. But yeah, it makes it really simple to to keep track of what you're doing. 
And there's not that many things that you're doing all at once that it's hard to juggle. It's not like you have 10 objectives all at once that you're halfway through. It's maybe more like two or three at a time. So it's pretty simple to keep it straight. And for people who haven't been watching at youtube.com slash what's good games where I've been showing some B-roll, how would you describe like what kind of game this is if they've never played Oxenfree and don't know Night School as a studio? Yeah, so it's a side-scrolling, like, discovery narrative game. There's some light action. It's definitely more puzzle-solving than anything. As I said, heavy dialogue and narrative. You're rewarded for exploration with additional narrative and maybe even some additional objectives, like we're talking about. But you're walking around, figuring out how to solve the mystery of this place and why it's so haunted (laughs) and trying to make it less haunted if you want. Maybe you want it haunted. Haunted all the time. You could maybe want it haunted. I want it haunted. On, the first depending one on your spooky, Riley. But it sounds like yeah. this one's spooky. So it is. Good. It's not it's not gonna like keep you up at night. It kept me up at night because I'm a big wimp, but it's <laughs> it's not one of those things where you, you're not gonna be able to like, you know, shut your eyes yeah. when you go to yeah. bed. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Great. Well, I'm Hell glad yeah. that you've been having a great time with it. I wish I yeah. had something to talk about, but I was intentionally reserving space for Britney's Baldur's Gate three segment no that's that's a lie I just I've been busy <laughs> but I did write in the show notes that I've been playing iPad kid games with Charlie which are mostly like shadow matching and like four piece puzzle games which has been has been fun but next week next week I'll be I'll be on the, on the scene with a an exclusive no it's it's not an exclusive <laughs> either everyone else in games media will be talking about it but it's a secret for now not next week oh the week after the week, the week after, after. Yes, because uh, next week we have a special guest. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great, and you'll be off hosting all of the things and hosting award shows. Yes, and it it's going to be great. And, and then I'm going to Comic Con, which is going to be fun. Hell yeah! Yeah! Hell yeah! Girl. It's going to be a busy week, but this has been a wonderful episode. And thank you so much to everybody for hanging with us. If you haven't yet left us a five star review, it greatly helps out the show. So we would love it if you gave us a couple minutes of your time to do so. Thank you to everybody who has has taken the time to do so already and we love that you guys support the show and we will be back next week bye everybody 